Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. You guys, I need to speak to all of you immediately about the state of dorm rooms and colleges. Okay. When I went to college, I had a dorm room that looked like a jail cell. The walls were cinder block and painted a glossy drab gray to try to hide that it was cinder block, but you could see the outline of cinder blocks. It it had nothing in it. Uh, me and my roommate tried to spruce it up. We got matching floral comforters and floral sheets. And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but we also had a, a floral curtain in the same ugly pattern. And even with that decor, it looked like we were living in a mental institution. The furniture was like from a classroom and the rug was like one of these industrial rugs. Like if you spilled something on it, you didn't even have to clean it. It would just blend in for the next 50 years. It was literally like we should have had a little door that opened on our front door where you could just like clang a metal cup, like in an old fashioned prison, like asking for water or like hard stale bread. I don't know. It was really, I mean, but then what happened was, you know, Bama Rush came along on TikTok. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it was just, we were all watching Alabama Rush on TikTok and their rooms, you guys, look like princess rooms. And I thought it was specific to this one school. I didn't realize that when you go to college now, it is a competition of what your dorm room looks like. I didn't know this was a thing, but people have been posting their kids, you know, everyone's moving into colleges right now. People are posting pictures of their kids' rooms and they look nicer than my master bedroom. They have, you guys, they put up wallpaper in dorms now. Did you know that? Wallpaper. They put up, like one girl had it, her name in neon, a neon sign over the bed. The beds are lifted up so you can have a full dresser system underneath the bed. And then, and then they put an upholstered headboard on that bed. That bed, prob- they probably move a duxy on a mattress into the into the room. I have never seen anything like it. I am totally obsessed. There's shag rugs, there's there's chandeliers. You guys, I saw someone post that they hired, and I know this because they posted it, they hired a decorator, a dorm room decorator for their kid's room, okay? Here I am having so much anxiety. My son is applying to college this year, and I now am having anxiety about his dorm room. I, I think the guys, when I was in college, some guys slept in like a sleeping bag on a bare mattress. We used to walk to school with no shoes in the snow. There was always a person that had like a black black light poster and a black light. Now that, that was like special. We were like, oh, we got to go hang out in the black light room. You know what I mean? Now you need to go to the room that has a, a flat screen TV. I, I I have no idea. I had a refrigerator and someone I know had a crock pot, which is kind of disgusting because what, what were we eating? What were we cooking in there? Soup, which is kind of gross to cook soup in your dorm room. It was probably SpaghettiOs. I'd be down for SpaghettiOs. Now they probably have mini hibachi grills in their dorms. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go on TikTok or Instagram and look up dorm rooms somehow. I'll post some pictures if I can, but I don't want to offend anyone. But I don't know. I just had to talk about this with someone. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Hey guys, welcome to Social Studies. I'm your host, Jenna Kingsley, and I promise you this is nothing like the social studies you learned in school. 
My Don't Hate Me for the Week goes out to White Lotus. You guys, every single person was posting about White Lotus. Oh my God, White Lotus. White Lotus. Oh, I just finished White Lotus. If you haven't watched White Lotus, you've missed out on the meaning of life. I want to get a second mortgage on my home so I can go live in the White Lotus Hotel. This is the most hilarious show I've ever seen. I'm just, I'm just re, like re, reliving some reviews I'd seen on my social media. So I, I was so excited. I sat down to watch White Lotus. And you guys don't hate me, but I don't get it. Like, I mean, I get it. I got it. Obviously, I got it. I don't get the appeal. First of all, Jennifer Coolidge, amazing. Connie Britton, amazing. The cast is amazing. This is nothing against the actors. And I do like the concept of it being at a luxurious resort where everyone's life is supposed to be perfect because you're at this beautiful hotel, but everyone shows up with the same problems they have at home and if not, magnifies the problems. However, I was waiting for something, anything, anything at all. And obviously I can't do anything like kind of... I have to do it all in. So I I didn't just watch like one or two episodes. I had to stay awake for 24 hours and finish it because I was waiting to get to the part that everyone got to that they were posting, you can't miss White Lotus. And I watched the entire thing and I never got there, you guys. If any of you want to write to me and explain to me why it was your favorite show, I will read every single response. All I want to do is talk about it with people. And if you're going to say Jennifer Coolidge is amazing, yes, she is one of the greatest actresses ever. But like, I don't know, what was so groundbreaking or so riveting or like there was no reveal, there was no plot. Don't hate me, you guys. But I just, I'm not on the same page as all of you. I'm sorry. On a more positive note, my get involved this week, you guys. Remember I did a whole episode basically about how much I hated drinking water? Well, I found a water that I love. This is not an ad at all. They are not paying me. I wish they were. But over the weekend, I had open water. That's the brand. And it's water in an aluminum bottle. And it is delicious, you guys. It just tastes like fresh water from a glacier. There's no plastic. So you don't have that like BPA taste or like whatever taste it gives you. And it's good for the environment. So get involved in open water. Open water, if you're listening to this, I'd love you to sponsor this podcast. So get involved. As always, guys, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for reviewing, sharing, telling people about it, subscribing. If you haven't left a review, please go on Apple Podcasts and leave one. You don't even have to leave your real name. You could just be like Jenna's alter ego. Just make that your name. Uh, It really helps. Do it for all your favorite podcasters. And now for today's episode. My guest today is one of the most brilliant people I have ever met. He's beyond brilliant. He's hilarious. He's a good friend. He's like family to me. And I truly feel lucky to know him and have him part of my life. And I'm excited to have him on the show today. I also owe many things in my life uh, to Gary, which we will get into. He was the editor-in-chief of ESPN Magazine and ESPN Insider. He was a writer and correspondent for Money Magazine. 
Yes. Yes. And he was on a correspondent on Oprah and CNN and the Today Show. He's also written seven books. Were any of them about me or no? Um, Were any of them about you? I don't think so. I'm trying to even think if I told a story you know, with a pseudonym about you. I was I do actually tell- kidding and didn't think it was an option, but I'm excited you even had to think about it. I think we should just let everyone know. First of all, Gary introduced me to my ex-husband. Well, you you take credit for it, but I really think it was Jody and David. Uh, no, oh my God, I'm going to get <laughs> off the, I will get off the podcast right now. <laughs> Okay, here's the story. In college, I used to babysit for my neighbor's son. Everyone thought I should get a life. And the people I babysat for had this friend, Gary, and he wanted to introduce me to this guy he knew. And he did. And I never babysat again. And my ex-husband sent flowers to the people I was babysitting for uh, with a card saying, thank you for the babysitter. That happened to be a great story. Now, the folks at home can't see. You have your partner, Neil, sitting in the background of this Zoom. He's not going to speak, unfortunately, because I'm obsessed with him, but he is watching. Yes, it's unusual for a for a podcast uh, interviewee to have backup behind him to make sure he doesn't say anything inappropriate because you might be the single most likely person that I could say something inappropriate with. Could be one of the biggest compliments someone could give me that I am the one that brings out the most inappropriate side. Yeah, you're kind of my version of Howard Stern. That could be the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me. Yeah. Well, I've always been one of your biggest supporters. As, as I am unaccountably. The other thing I want to say that Gary is re- responsible for is um, Gary hired me to do my social media in real life, social networking in real life video. Really um, good one. A really, do you know it's still going viral? Yeah. It's still going viral. And you know it was written about in a book. No, I did not know that. A woman in the UK wrote about it in a book. So I am now a literary sensation, if you will. Yeah, your video has lasted longer than the viability of the company for whom we did. <laughs> Are they still in business? I think they're technically still in business. We probably shouldn't mention them. Okay, I, I mean, yeah, I, no, no, we will all add but, it um, out too. But I think they, but they also may not be in business. Their website still exists. Okay. Um, but it was a great piece of content, actually. Like, it was the great, it. it's a, it's a historical piece. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, can I tell you a story that you're going to say, you're going to hopefully remember this, but when I was pregnant, you told me my kid would only be attractive if it were a boy. Yeah. You remember that. <laughs> I was right. He's a good looking boy. He's a good looking boy, but that's crazy to say to a pregnant woman. Well, but you were not a normal pregnant woman. No, but I also know you so well that I didn't even think it was a weird thing to say. It just seemed very normal. Gary has appeared on Oprah. How many times would you say? I don't actually remember. Um, what was that like? Is there was a time, I mean, I, in my mind, Oprah was like the most... Once you were on Oprah, you made it, right? Like if a product was on Oprah, a book was on Oprah, a person was on Oprah, and you were on Oprah. What was that like? And is she as amazing as we all picture her to be? Because she's like a goddess to us. It was uh, super nice to me. If she was, Oprah was as even more impressive than you would think. So Oprah was just phenomenal. We, you know, some, you can actually see our... Our, I'll send you a link. You can see uh, at least one of our shows on the web. And we actually had this really uh, like flirty dynamic, but the dynamic, what, not flirty like she wanted to have sex with me, flirty like, you know, as if we were siblings or cousins or old friends. She, and that was mostly because I'm a hyper extrovert and she's great at what she does. But I, I posted it recently on Facebook and a whole bunch of my friends were like, dude, you should have dated Oprah. And I was like, Oprah was not interested in dating me. 
But anyway, uh, and Oprah was not interested in me, I guarantee you. But anyway, um, she was just phenomenal as a host, you know, just so good in so many ways, duh. But then when the, during breaks, you would see two things that were sort of diametrically opposed, but of course we're not. One was she would just regularly always make time and just go sit on the stairs between the sections of seats and just talk with the women and men in the audience. And you would just watch her talking. You know, she would just do it for five or 10 minutes in those, you know, you'd have big breaks between filming. It wasn't always as quick between segments. It wasn't just the length of the commercial often. And you would just watch her and you would have thought that she was their friend from the supermarket or their friend from the, you know, the, the club or the, their friend from the park. Like she just had the most amazing down to earth vibe that looked genuine and certainly must have felt genuine to the people in the audience she was talking to. And it was not even like a performance. Conversely, you know, she would sometimes in that moment, but certainly like at other times on the set, when you weren't, when the cameras weren't rolling and she wasn't talking to the audience, she was just a badass executive producer, right? She, and, you know, holding her staff accountable, having, you know, a lot of different ideas about segments, about, you know, what was going to be some of the B-roll that was either coming or the, what was going to be on the screen behind us if we were, if there was visual aids. And I say badass because she was tough. But I say badass as opposed to any other word because she was, you know, I feel like strong women in the workplace often get treated differently than strong men in the workplace. And she was just, you know, she was never rude. She never, I never saw her raise her voice even when she was mad, but you know, she had super high expectations, which is how you build a company like she has built. But she was just, but it was impressive because that same person who was like running the show, like a drill sergeant, a benevolent drill sergeant, but nonetheless a drill sergeant could just on a, in a second go, then go over, sit down on the stairs, always sitting on the stairs. So she's a little bit below the people and just, you know, chat with everybody and, you know, talk about like whatever, or talk about her hair or talk about what was going on in politics or in Chicago sports, whatever it was. It was impressive. I was such a big Oprah fan. When that show ended, I was like sad. I had grown up watching Oprah after school. Like, that's what I did. And, you know, I just was, I think all of us were so sad when that show ended. I had hoped that she would continue for another 20 years. I'm Lexi. I'm Shannon. I'm Tiffany. And this is the Six and Nine podcast. Family dinner is at six and pre-drinks are at nine. We're serving laughs, cocktails, and lots of stories we probably shouldn't share. In this multi-generational mother-daughter podcast, nothing is off the table. We're unfiltered, uncensored, and undone. You can catch a new episode of Six and Nine every Tuesday, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you are invited. Every year on Facebook, Gary takes a stand and he's going to explain what that is. But I felt, I felt like that was like the ultimate in social studies, right? Because he would take stands like I do on this podcast on topics about nothing. But once you hear them, you're like, oh yeah. Well, so when it, it began in 1997 when I got really tired of my fellow Jews using the phrase lactose intolerance. It's not that I don't recognize or didn't recognize that there is a condition in which people have a bad reaction to milk, but like it used to just be people would say milk doesn't agree with me. And then it became this whole thing and everyone would start talking about I'm lactose intolerance, like a fancy word. I once, it reminded me, I once went out on a date with a doctor who 
who kept saying I'm sleep deprived or date. I, I dated a doctor for a while who kept talking about being sleep deprived. What I really wanted to say was, you mean you're tired? <laughs> sleep deprived. <laughs> so I would go right to Epstein-Barr, by the way. I'd be like, I have Epstein-Barr. Well, I'm familiar with your work. So yes, that does not surprise me. But she, but people started using lactose intolerance in a way that just it really started annoying me. So I decided to take a stand against the phrase. And so I became lactose intolerance intolerant. Like if you told me you were lactose intolerant, I would just be like, so milk doesn't agree with you. Like, why are we making a big deal out of this? Just don't get the ice cream. And so, and then like the next year I ran into somebody who was, who sort of said to me, you know, who knew that I was lactose intolerance intolerant and said like, so what are you taking a stand against this year? And I was like, Yes, yes, I should take a stand against something this year. And something was staring me in the face in 1998. And so that became my second stand, which was, we're pregnant. And I'd be like, no, we're not pregnant. But like, the only person pregnant, sir, is your spouse. Or the By the way, we're pre- pregnant is horrible. Right. So I took a stand against we're pregnant. Yeah, um, that's a stand I'd like to jump in on. And I, well, it's, I've been, you know, and my stands are cumulative. So I don't ever abandon my stands because, you know, unless I'm, unless they leave the the vernacular or leave the way people behave or the way people interact. And they almost never do. And it's like, no, we're not pregnant. You're not going to force something the size of a roast beef through your nostril. <laughs> like Only your wife is pregnant. She's only your wife is through. pregnant. Yeah. Is that now with everything going on with gender roles, is it wrong to say I'm pregnant? Is it wrong to make just the woman pregnant? Well, she, I mean, I think she's the only one pregnant. You can say we are expecting, you know what I mean? But like, yeah. we're not pregnant. We are just, and, 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 you know, until men are pregnant, I mean, whoever's pregnant should say I'm pregnant. And whoever's, <laughs> and whoever's partnered. And by the way, with, I think it's going to be pretty obvious at some point. Right. And whoever's partnered with the person who's pregnant should say my partner is pregnant or we're expecting. It's a weird thunder to steal. Just kept doing stands. I just started adding to them. I mean, I can tell you what some of them are because, you know, every year on I Facebook. I have the they, list in front oh, of me. Oh, Okay. And um, I want to first say I pride myself on misusing words. I am that awkward person that just misuses words and I speak like with total authority. I did it on a couple episodes I was ta- ago. I was talking about Mohill. I thought it was Mohill and it's Molehill. So you know that there are so you know that there are different kinds of word misuses, right? There's actually like a whole study of this. There's like malapropisms, which is what which is when people just sort of say fancy words, but wrong. There's something called, um, I don't do um, that because I don't use fancy words, right? There's something called a, there's a, there's a, there's a Mondegreen and, and Mondegreen is when you think Jimi Hendrix is see, is saying, excuse me while I kiss this guy, even though he's actually singing, excuse me while I kiss the sky. Mondegreen is a category of, of, by the way, I'm a big Mondegreen singer in the car. I'm not surprised. And then there's something called, then there's something called an egg corn. And an egg corn is when people, is what you just did. And an egg corn is when people say something that they use a phrase that's wrong, but it kind of actually almost makes more sense because it sort of sounds like something that the phrase should be. The big, one of the best, best examples is like, people often say, I want to hone in on something. H-O-N-E. Is and it the, not hone? No, and the and but it's home. <laughs> it's it's home in like homing pigeon. H O M E. Okay, right? well that's another word I've been using. I still use it wrong. Right. And the reason why egg corns are kind of 
they're often forgiven because oftentimes the reason why the, the word that people substitute for the right word it actually also makes sense. Like to hone in on something literally means to sharpen in on something, which on the one hand isn't really what you're saying, but it kind of makes sense, right? To have like a sharper point of view. So oftentimes when people make do an, uh, do an egg corn, it's because they are putting in place something that kind of maybe even makes more or better sense than the thing that they're actually getting wrong. So don't feel bad. You're just, you are the kind of the ideal human in many ways. 30 seconds in and I realize I don't, I, I probably do this almost with three quarters of my vocabulary. And I'm wondering if you can just follow me around correcting me because I'm probably embarrassing myself left and right. By the way, if I follow you around correcting you, I can't, I can't believe that would help any aspect of there your life. There would be absolutely right? nothing annoying about that. Um, Gary, there's some things on your list I want to cover. One is a really big one for me. I overuse this and I misuse it and I don't care and I love it. Okay. Literally and exactly. Oh my God. I am that, I know, I know. A stand, I, my stand in 2012. Yeah. You're so you're telling me that when the, the movie was so funny that you were literally rolling on the floor laughing, meaning like you, just, you were on the floor of the theater and you got popcorn and sticky stuff, God knows what it is, all over your clothes because you were on the floor literally rolling around. No, you don't mean that. You mean it was really funny. So you could have just said, I was on the floor laughing. I was rolling okay, on the floor laughing. It hasn't literally become almost a term like, like. Like we're not supposed to say like in conversation. I like love it. Right. It's 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 not correct English, but people well, use literally. I, a, I can uh, I have a little bit of a disconfirming take on that. That's not mine, but the it, linguists disagree with that. But let's go back to like and go and, and literally uh, we'll literally go back to like later and then talk okay. about literally. Now. I know that I wasn't literally rolling on the floor, but I want to get my point across. I wasn't just laughing hard. I was literally dying. But isn't the point of rolling on the floor to already doing that? You weren't, I didn't, I didn't think the movie was funny. I was rolling on the floor laughing. I find literally it's like a security blanket. It's a word that just drives home. Like I am, this is how serious I am. I'm, I am literally starving to death. If you don't throw literally in, like if you just say I am starving to death, it's not, you're not. But you're not literally you're starving really, to death. Okay. So I need to make my point by lying, basically, is what you're saying. Now, what you should yes, say to me, by the I'm way. I'm a liar. I'm a liar. liar. <laughs> what you should say to me, by the way, is Gary, language evolves. If it didn't evolve, we would all be speaking the language of Beowulf, in which we wouldn't even understand what we're talking about because it sounds like, you know, Germans who just learned English and got really drunk. Like old English is not new English because language changes, right? That's what you should say. And you're right. Language does change. But, but some things to me are important. And I'm, that's why I take a stand against them. It's not, doesn't mean I'm right, but some things to me are important for what they represent in the language at the moment. And the fact that they change is not necessarily a good thing, even though it may be an inevitable thing. Now, how does literally and exactly, how are those two tied together? Well, because people will say, it was, uh, it'll say, what day is it today? Whatever. And, oh my God, this happened exactly a year ago. And I'll be like, oh, on June, on July 27th. And they'll be like, well, no, but late July. And I'll be like, and why did you just say it happened a year ago? Because it's not exactly a year ago. It's actually just roughly a year ago. And it's the same thing. Like why use exactly when you don't need to? Because that, because then exactly stops having the meaning that you need to have it have when you actually need to, 
be exact. We need to be exact, right. That's my problem is that you, is I get the language of vowels, but unless there's something that replaces literally and exactly, what do we do when we actually mean that? That's my question. You don't have to answer it, but that's what I, that's what I do think about. I also want to just say for the listeners, if you're listening, Gary sounds unbearable. He sounds like an unbearable <laughs> friend to have, okay? I want to tell you he's one of the funniest people and he doesn't, I mean, yes, he does walk around correcting you, but not in the way that it seems on this podcast. That's a fair statement. I basically only correct people if I think that they have a chance to be embarrassed in front of somebody else. Because I don't care if people do this. I love my friends. I am taking a stand and saying I'm constantly, clearly embarrassing myself in front of other people because I am using the English language totally wrong. Yeah, but you are obviously smart and you're also hot. So in the end, (laughs) you get away with a lot of stuff. And the smart part is the key part because nobody ever thinks you're dumb. Hopefully not. They never think you're dumb. Gary or, or uneducated. New obsession is the word actual. Like I say, it's my actual favorite. Is that English? Is that proper English? It's my actual favorite thing. I am actually, you know, can you use actual? Is actual a little more lax than literally? Um, you can, and uh, and it's more importantly, one could argue that at that moment it can't be disproven, right? Like you're, you're basically saying in this moment, in this act, this thing is my favorite. This is what I believe, whatever the case may be. And it may change and it may be different than from a minute ago, or it may be different than from a minute forward, but it kind of is true because you're saying it's true in that moment. And so it's, for me, it's a much better usage. I didn't, I don't really use that that often, but I like it. I get, I used to get a lot of crap from people who work for me. I guess I still do sometimes because I'll sometimes say about something wow, that, that's actually really good. And I mean it as an emphasis. And people say like, it suggests that I was surprised that somebody did Same. something good. I would do that too. I'd say that's actually really funny. I get slammed for that a lot. And I never mean it as a diss or a backhanded compliment. And people almost always take it as such. Same, because I, when I say it, I no, mean it as along. a huge compliment. Like that's actually like hilarious. Correct. And everybody assumes that you're saying like, oh, I can't believe you came up with that. No, you guys actually is a huge compliment. And also, just so you know, you heard it here from Gary, feel free to use actual and actually just liberally and no one will judge you, particularly Gary. There's been this really interesting research into language, which is that there, for a long time, people thought that, ch- that language acquisition basically or easy language acquisition or full language acquisition stopped once you stop being a kid and actually once you stop being even eight or nine because they thought the brain didn't continue to develop in the same way that it does when you're a little kid. And it turns out that's not the case. Adults can learn English as well as five-year-olds can learn. Adults can learn a second language as easily as five-year-olds a second language in the right conditions. But one of the conditions has to be that people are correcting them and nobody corrects adults. That's the real reason why adults don't learn English later, don't learn second languages later in life. Oh, that's interesting. Kids are, nobody ever hesitates to, you know, if you, if you met a kid, people will correct kids all the time. Kids are constantly corrected, which is how you learn. Adults aren't. And so they go on saying stuff because people are, think it's rude. And I basically understand what you mean. And so you'll just say something that's like, not really English, but I get it. And then you'll just think like, okay, I guess I, I guess that works. And so if you correct adults, by the way, yep, it's better to correct them in a way that they don't feel attacked, et cetera, like, you know, like anything. But if you correct adults when they're speaking a second language, they get way better, way quicker. That is very interesting because you don't, like I never correct an adult. 
I mean, I would correct my child, but I wouldn't correct other children, but that's interesting. Uh, now, Gary, just a little quick quiz for you. How up are you on modern terminology? Do you know what Stan is? S-T-A-N, the word everyone is using on the internet. Oh my God, you think I'm like 127 years old? <laughs> um, Stan is a super fan. Okay, now I have a more difficult one. I want to get credit for knowing what Stan is. By, by the way, way, yes, Stan was easy. Okay. I am You're old, right. let's that was be honest. Chugy, C-H-U-G-Y. Yeah, it kind of means the same as kludgy, which is an actual old word. You know, it means like sort of a little bit awkward or stuffed, stuffed, or it's a negative but not mean um, way to sort of say something is obsolete or sticky or sort of not smooth. Well, what it actually means on an internet language is the opposite of trendy. So it's like basic, like it's a basic bitch is a chuggy, like chuggy so predictable. It's so like Uggs or chuggy. I love Uggs. I'm chuggy. I don't know what to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I would say I got, I was 87% there. I would, if I used it, nobody would have ever, if I used it, nobody would have ever realized I didn't know exactly what it meant. By the way, for the way that I misuse language, you know, I'm undefeated in Balderdash. I did not know that. I like that you would think that I would know that. I know. <laughs> you know that I'm undefeated in Balderdash. So, I mean, people, people, so people talk about your Bananagrams record, but nobody brings up the Balderdash. <laughs> Gary, before we leave, how can people find you, follow you, find your stuff? I'm not really, I mean, I'm on Twitter, but what if they want to buy your book? What if they were so swayed by this? They're like, Oh, I need to buy all of Gary's books. They can put my name into Amazon and they'll see them. And that's Gary Belsky, G-A-R-Y-B-E-L-S-K-Y. Do you have a website? I do, but it's really my speaking website. Okay. Well, if you want him to speak at one of your events, he's a great speaker. GaryBelsky.com. So it's not. GaryBelsky. There we go. Um, Okay, guys. Thank you, Gary. I hope you come back. Well, if this doesn't come up in my face, I definitely will. (laughs) All right. I'm going to hang this up and I'm going to keep you on the phone. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in to Social Studies with Jenna Kingsley. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to stalk me, you can do that on Instagram at Jenna Kingsley. You can visit my website, jennakingsley.com. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Jenna Kingsley. If you have a topic you think we should cover, you can slide into the DMs or send me an email. Have a great week and I will speak to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.